Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. Come thy way, Signor Fabian. Nay, I'll come. If I lose a scruple of this sport, let me be boiled to death with melancholy. Wouldst thou not be glad to have the rascally sheep biter come by some notable shame? I would exult, man. You know, he brought me out of favor with my lady about a bear baiting here. To anger him, we'll have the bear again. And we will fool him black and blue. Shall we not, Sir Andrew? And we do not. It is pity of our lives. Here comes the little villain. How now, my metal of India? Get ye all three into the box tree. Malvolio's coming down the walk. He has been yonder in the sun, practicing behavior to his own shadow this half hour. (laughs) Observe him for the love of mockery, for I know this letter will make a contemplative idiot of him. (laughs) Close, in the name of jesting, lie thou there... For here comes the trout that must be caught with tickling. Tis but fortune. All is fortune. Maria once told me she did affect me. And I have heard herself come thus near that, should she fancy, it should be one of my complexion. Besides, she uses me with a more exalted respect than anyone else that follows her. What should I think on it? He is an overweening rogue. Oh, peace. Contemplation makes a rare turkey cock of him. How he jets under his advanced plumes. Slight. I could so be Peace, I say. To be Count Malvolio. A rogue. Pistol him. Pistol him. Peace, peace. There is example for it. The lady of the Stracci married the yeoman of the wardrobe. Fie on him, Jezebel. Oh, peace. Now he's deeply in. Look how imagination blows him. Having been three months married to her, sitting in my state. Oh, Boris, don't go to hit him in the eye. Calling my officers about me in my branched velvet gown. Having come from a daybed where I have left... Olivia sleeping. Fire and brimstone. Oh, peace, peace. And then, to have the humor of state, and after a demure travel of regard, telling them I know my place, as I would they should do theirs, to, for my 
kinsman, Toby. Folks and shackles! Oh, peace, peace, peace. Now, now. Seven of my people. With their obedience, start make out for him. I frown the while and perchance wind up watch or, or play with my... some rich jewel. Toby approaches, curtsies there to me. Shall this fellow live? Though our silence be drawn from us with cars, yet peace. I extend my hand to him thus, quenching my familiar smile with an austere regard of control. And does not Toby take you a blow over the lips then? Saying, Cousin Toby, my fortunes having cast me on your niece, mm. give me this prerogative of speech. What? What? You must amend your drunkenness. Outscap! Hey, patience, or we break the sinews of our plot. Besides, you waste the treasure of your time with a foolish knight. That's me, I warrant you. One, Sir Andrew. Oh, I knew it was I. Many do call me fool. What employment have we here? Now is the woodcock near the gin. Oh, peace. And the spirit of humor. Intimate reading allowed him. By my life. This is my lady's hand. These be her very C's, her U's and her T's, and thus makes she her great P's. It is, in contempt of question, her hand. Her C's, her U's and her T's? Why that? <laughs> <laughs> to the unknown beloved, this and my good wishes, her very phrases, by your leave, wax, soft, and the impressure, her Lucrece, with which she uses to seal. Tis my lady. To whom should this be? This wins him, liver and all. Jove knows I love, but who? Lips do not move. No man must know. No man must know. What follows? The numbers altered. No man must know. If this should be the Malvolio? Mary, hang thee, Brock. I may command where I adore, but silence, like a Lucrece knife, with bloodless stroke, my heart doth gore. M-O-A-I doth sway my life? A fustian riddle. Excellent wench, say I. M-O-A-I doth sway my life. Nay, but first, let me see, let me see, let me see. What dish of poison has she dressed him? And with what wing the staniel checks her dead? I may command where I adore. Why, she may command me. I serve her. She is my lady. Why, this is evident to any formal capacity. There is no obstruction in this. And the end, what should that alphabetical position portend? If I could make that resemble something in me, softly, M-O-A-I. Oh, I make up that. He is now at a cold scent. Soder will cry a punk for all this, though it be as rank as a fox. M, Malvolio, M, why, that begins my name. Did I not say he would work it out? The cur is excellent at faults. M, a 
then there is no constancy in the sequel. That suffers under probation. A should follow, but O does. And O shall end, I hope. I'll cuddle him and make him cry, O. And then I comes behind. I. And you had an eye behind you. You might see more detraction at your heels than fortunes before you. M-O-A-I. This simulation is not as the former. And yet, to crush this a little, it would bow to me, for every one of these letters are in my name. Soft. Here follows prose. If this fall into thy hand, revolve. In my stars I am above thee. But be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness. And some have greatness thrust upon them. Thy fates open their hands. Let thy blood and spirit embrace them. And to inure thyself to what thou art like to be. Cast thy humble sloth and appear fresh. Be opposite with a kinsman. Surly with servants, let thy tongue-tang arguments of state. Put thyself into the trick of singularity. She thus advises thee that sighs for thee. Remember who commended thy yellow stockings (coughs) and wished to see thee ever (laughs) cross-guarded? I say remember. Go to, thou art made, if thou desirest to be so. If not, let me see thee a steward still, fellow of servants, and not worthy to touch fortune's fingers. Farewell. She that would alter services with thee, the fortunate unhappy. Daylight and champagne discovers not more. This is open. I will be proud. I will read politic authors. I will baffle Sir Toby Belch. I will wash off gross acquaintances. I will be point device the very man. I do not now fool myself to let imagination jade me, for every reason excites to this, that my lady loves me. (laughs) She did commend my yellow stockings of late. (laughs) She did praise my leg being (laughs) cross-gartered. And in this she manifests herself to my love and, with a kind of injunction, drives me to these habits of her liking. I thank my stars. I am happy. I will be strange, stout in yellow stockings and... (laughs) Cross-gartered. <laughs> Even with the swiftness of putting on the Jove and my stars be praised, here is yet a postscript. <clears throat> thou canst not choose but know who I am. If thou entertainest my love, let it appear in thy smiling. Thy smiles become thee well, therefore in my presence still smile. Dear, dear my sweet, I Jove, I thank thee. I will smile. I will do everything that thou wilt have me. I will not give my part of the sport for a pension. Of thousands! <laughs>
to be paid from the sofa. I could marry this wench for this device. Well, so could I, too. And ask no other dowry with her but such another gem. Nor I neither. Here comes my noble gall catcher. Wilt thou set thy foot on my neck? Or, or, or am I neither? Shall I play my freedom at trade-trip and become thy bond-slave? Faith, or I either. Why, thou hast put him in such a dream that when the image of it leaves him, he must run mad. Nay, but say true. Does it work upon him? Like Aquavite with a midwife. <laughs> If you will then see the fruits of the sport, mark his first approach before my lady. He will come to her in yellow stockings. <laughs> and tis a color she abhors. And cross-gartered, a fashion she detests. And he will smile upon her, which will now be so unsuitable to her disposition, being addicted to a melancholy, as she is, that it cannot but turn him into a notable contempt. <laughs> if mm. you will see it, follow me. Mm. To the gates of Tartar, thou most excellent devil of wit. I'll make one too. Okay, so we've just come from listening to Act 2, Scene 5, which takes place in Olivia's garden. And... What's happening here is that uh, Mariah has told everybody, okay, okay, I've set Malvolio up for his gulling. If you want to watch it happen, come with me. And she has managed to induce uh, Toby Belch and Fabian and Andrew Aguecheek. Festy is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know like we have no real idea why this is earlier in the play she you know she invites festy to come see this when they're all hanging out in the kitchen uh who knows what could have happened perhaps the actor uh wasn't available for this scene for some reason uh, um but from a plot point of view and character point of view it makes sense that Festy would not risk being part of this. Later, when there's something else that he sees other characters doing that he thinks might get them in trouble with Olivia, he says, you know, I would not be in your shoes, coats, whatever it is. I would not be in your place for a tuppence. So um, I think that when the, the going gets rough, you know, Festy gets the heck out of here he's very politically astute so that's my guess although i have seen and done productions of this where to save yourself the trouble of scaring up a fabian you cut fabian and stick festy in there oh <laughs> <laughs> i love fabian <laughs> sometimes you just can't get another actor <laughs> i i get it i totally get it it helps if you if you're in a situation where it doesn't matter the gender and there's really no reason why fabian has to be male uh you know i've had fabian portrayed by women and you know they it makes no difference to the meaning of the scenes whatsoever. But Fabian is an interesting character in that 
he's he's not of a higher class he's of a courtier he's just kind of a hangers-on that hangs around the court and you know if something needed to be done and you needed a bunch of people to help do it then it was helpful to have somebody like fabian around who you know might even fill in for somebody else like could have been handy for mariah oh fabian you know i'm i'm out of cheese or whatever you know can you go around to so-and-so and get some cheese uh but Mostly, I get the impression that Fabian probably avoided as much work as possible, <laughs> just because I guess that's my assumption about Fabian. But Fabian also has a really interesting role at the end of the play, where he protects Mariah. So, you know, my feeling is that perhaps Fabian represents somebody, uh, a real person, who had that kind of role in Elizabeth's court, who could be, you know, hang out with the troublemakers, but who also had a sense of honor. And yeah, he, he just doesn't want to miss a, a good show. And who can blame him? We all want to see this happen. All of us in the audience mm. are just as busy hiding behind the box hedge here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me be boiled to death with melancholy. He's got a he's got a way with a phrase too. <laughs> uh, and then Sir Toby Belch has a line which, you know, contains a word that can certainly be considered offensive, but meant something else in this yeah. context and it, it used to mean and it doesn't mean no. a good thing so yeah. let's be clear that it doesn't mean a good thing mm -hmm. but it did not mean what we think of it to mean directly mm -hmm. right yeah. now the N -word. and the n n, -ly n, -ly n, -ly n -ly word, word with, it's an like, yeah. with an a r and with an l y yeah. at the end so uh you know, is, he's not making any kind of commentary on Malvolio's ethnic identity there or is, what he looks like or anything else. Uh, Anti-Semitic connotation with this version of that word. Um, and, and isn't there a miserly quality yes. to the, um, if I, I, I may be wrong about that, but. No, you're absolutely right. If it's if it was intended as a slur at this point, it's almost more of an anti-Semitic slur than it is a racist slur in that sense, in that color sense. Um, God, you can't even say racist anymore. Anti-Semitic is, um, is also racist. It's, it's what I'm trying in my stumbling yeah. way to say. Um, all that say, I would cut I would cut the I word. Think that's, that's how a lot of productions approach it. And then you get that wonderful, wonderful job of coming up with the uh, three syllable fill in. If you want to keep your, uh, yep. your, your vibe there with the line. Yeah, but it's not first. So there's a little more wiggle room. It's, yeah, it's not first, but you get that, that rascally sheep biter. It sounds a little, uh, eh, it's a little funny. It's a little, mm. eh. You know? you know what? You can always repeat. You can always repeat a rascally. word like rascally. <laughs> that rascally, rascally sheep. I think fire. you need something percussive with those uh, those, conso uh, those consonants uh, in there. There's a reason those, you know, it's those consonants that we hear. You know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I good no luck coming up with that three syllable word. Dear listener, that's, <laughs> you'll have to figure that in your own. But but you do not you don't have yeah, to come chop, up with a replacement word. You can just I just chop it. Yeah. And and let's face it, you know, this line goes back like in less than a goes by mm -hmm. in less than a second. And you know, as directors and you know, as actors, like we are picking over every line. But we're doing it for the audience and the audience will never ever notice it was gone. They won't mm -hmm. they won't even They'll just be thrilled that they understand what a rascally sheep biter is. And, and there we get into a bestiality joke. So we're, we're off and running. Okay. Wouldst thou not be glad to have the rascally sheep biter is, come by some notable shame as if that wasn't embarrassing this, this enough. response here is hysterical to me. Uh, I tend to go a little older with the... Uh, Fabian, Fabian's there's in his character. It denotes like it's it's a lot of like the the senior in the um. It, it's kind of like a like a he's not like a duke, but there's a little bit of a little bit of office to him, or some like I don't know civil mm -hmm. service or something. Right? There's a little bit of something mm -hmm. there, and um, it's always landed well, and it's slightly older for me. Um, and just having mm -hmm. that dude say, uh, I would exalt man in response, dude, mm -hmm. just kills me every time. Like, wouldn't you like to, <laughs> wouldn't you like to see this guy come to some, just to, oh, dude, totally. Oh, mm -hmm. sign me up. You know, I just love getting an old guy to rock out like that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've had yeah. all ages. Of well, and because a bear bait, it can be, dude. it can really be any age yeah and then yeah. the next line Sean? Yeah, uh, yeah i would exult man you know he brought me out of favor with my lady about a bear baiting here you know which is like uh mm. hysterical if it's something that that kind of status character wouldn't necessarily do or you know who knows who knows mm. but yeah he, he got this yeah, that's important yeah. for favor yeah, that's it's kind of his motivation it's good and it's good to play with those contrasts mm -hmm. and you know the those lines there make it clear that fabian can be any class yeah. really and you know not to put too fine a point on it john but we think of bear baiting as crass entertainment the elizabethans would not have go on they they would have thought well the bear baiting rings you know it's like yeah. our football here mm -hmm. The bear baiting rings were much larger than the theaters and went on, you know, continually, often even during plagues and things like that. Uh, and, it, you know, they are a descendant of the yeah. Roman Colosseums, who the Elizabethans idolized along with the ancient Greeks. And, you know, the Elizabethans were, were not nice to animals. It's, it's a rough rough road for those of us who are soft-hearted to animals to really get a grasp of this time period we would not have been happy living then uh, it's it, very bad to animals but important to understand the context here which is that it was like their favorite thing to do now to be fair <laughs> bears were an actual danger to human beings at this time period and people would have known somebody who'd been mauled by a bear you had to take real precautions living in places where there were bears you know there just weren't as many people then 
and the wilderness was wild and bears ate people sometimes so you know it, it's it's a little more understandable when the bear that you caught and put in the bear baiting ring might have eaten your neighbor's child like that's kind of more understandable and it makes it slightly more understandable when even when people caught bears expressly for that purpose that well this bear didn't eat your child but it could have you know it might it's have. cousin did it's cousin did and certainly you know would have eaten your sheep and possibly your baby cow and you know it, they were they were dangerous animals all that said i think it's horrible i think the whole well, thing it, is it's horrible. always it's, and, it is tied to you, you know, know like you said the um the performance quality of it you know that gladiator quality of it it's it, it's got that mm -hmm. green show tied to the elizabethan stage as well there was aspects of that that they would do mm -hmm. in their performances before the the main show if i'm not mistaken i believe yes yes and you know there are certain even you know quasi religious aspects to it as well in that you know, people believed that they had this wildness inside them that had to be tamed and had to be destroyed. And they would use the bear as a scapegoat of a representation like that. And so by destroying the bear that helped to ennoble their souls, even though to us, it seems like disgusting. And clearly Olivia was yeah. not into it more to her credit. Well, and the bear gets um, what, revenge. What is it? Winter's Tale? Yeah. yeah. Winter's Tale. Exit pursued by a bear. Uh, so then Toby says, yeah, to anger him, we'll have the bear again, and we will fool him black and blue. Shall we not, Sir Andrew? What a lovely little rhyme. <laughs> and then Andrew, then we do not. It is pity of our lives. Oh, the stakes are getting pretty high here for old Andrew. <laughs> and then uh, Toby's line, here comes the little villain how now my metal of india and this isn't a slur it's a quasi quasi fetishy <laughs> um but what it really talks about is that she's short it's lettuce knows that she's short and she probably has dark colored hair um, and he's clearly smitten with her and then, let's see, Bridget, would you read Mariah's line there? Get ye all three? Get ye all three into the box tree. Malvolio's coming down this walk. He has been yonder in the, or, in the, sorry. He has been yonder in the sun, practicing behavior to his own shadow this half hour. <laughs> Observe him for the love of mockery. For I know this letter will make a contemplative idiot of him. Close in the name of jesting. Lie thou there, for here comes the trout that must be caught with tickling. Dick joke. <laughs> okay. Um, and vagina joke, just a general genitalia joke. It's not... <laughs> Not picky here. So uh, get ye all in three into the box tree. Okay, so that's a particular kind of a shrub, but it's also a pun for vagina. Uh, Malvolio's coming down this walk. 
He has been yonder. Rachel. In the sun. Rachel Anstad. <laughs> that is not what that means. Did I say it right? I don't know. It is exactly <laughs> what it means. It is exactly it what it means. She's coming down the path. <laughs> Go in the Fondling some rich jewel. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, yeah. I know. See, it, there's a whole spectrum of. Uh, <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> All right. You don't know. Keep going. Keep going. Practice. Practice. Okay. Practicing behavior to his own mm, shadow. Like that. So that's like just another, no telling. Another masturbation <laughs> joke. Another masturbation. Well, and also that he's just. I, I don't know if you guys ever do this. I, I when I was younger, it used to sometimes catch myself. Um, you know, kind of like after you you get cut off in the car or something, and you mm-hmm. into the mirror in the rearview mirror, like, mm-hmm. you know, or thing, or like <laughs> someone leaves the room, so you know all of these. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just so telling. It's just so he's just so swept up and practicing behavior to his own shadow. I, I dude, I get sometimes mm-hmm. so caught up in an idea, and uh, yeah, people around me like, what what the hell is happening right now? Why are you talking to what's going on? A little self-absorbed. But it's also in, in your own thoughts. It's also a great yeah. visual. Yeah. Like you can see yeah. him standing in a field, yeah. <laughs> thinking nobody is watching him, <laughs> practicing his gestures, yeah. practicing his walk, all of that. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so clear in yeah. your mind. And it, it comes back to Olivia's statement of her condemnation of him at the very beginning in act one scene five when she says you are sick of self love malvolio and that's that's a serious statement that's an actual crime in the elizabethan mind is to be so self-obsessed that you aren't putting god before yourself Mm. and that you aren't recognizing that other people's interactions with god maybe more important than their interactions with you. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a form of heresy. So this harkens back to that. And then observe him for the love of mockery. Oh, none of us can wait. None of us, especially those of us in the audience. Mm-hmm. For I know this letter will make a contemplative idiot of him. Close, in the name of jesting, lie thou there. Uh, for here comes the trout that must be caught with tickling and you know trouser trout (laughs) we all know what that means and why it must be caught with tickling Mm -hmm. and you know mariah almost as we've noted before shakespeare is all dick jokes and fancy clothes but Mariah is really good with the sex jokes <laughs> and you know it for me it helps see why she and Toby could be a happy match because he's going to get her jokes and mm-hmm. not everyone is okay yeah and enter Malvolio and Malvolio talking to himself Let's see. Uh, go, go ahead, Bridget. Go ahead and read Malvolio. Tis but fortune. All is fortune. Mariah once told me that she did... Ad- 
I'm going to do that again. Mariah once told me that she did affect me, and I have heard my, herself come <laughs> thus near that should she fancy, mm. it should be one of my complexion. Mm. Besides, she uses me with a more exalted respect than anyone else that follows her. What should I think, Aunt? Eisenhower weaning rogue. (laughs) (laughs) I knew, I knew you had it in you. (laughs) Okay, so, and, and we could not agree with Toby more in this moment. He speaks for all of us. And you know, the more unctuous, the more condescending your Malvolio can get, the funner a scene this is mm. for everyone involved. So, tis but That's fortune, right, all funner. is fortune. So, he's he's saying that uh, it's all, you know, it's all luck and I am, uh, I'm a lucky guy. Everybody loves me, baby. What's the matter with you? Hmm. Uh and so he is, he's already fantasizing, even before he finds the letter, that Olivia might want to marry him. And there was, for a while, a rumor that Queen Elizabeth was going to marry her master of the horse, who would have been basically the same as a steward. So this is very risky Mm. political commentary here where he is picturing Elizabeth's master of the horse. And I'm sorry, people, I don't remember the master of the horse's name because master of the horse is a much more memorable phrase (laughs) than the guy's name. (laughs) But I'll try and provide that little detail another time. Master Mm. of the horse. And you know, was that guy walking around thinking to himself, hey, I might be king someday. So here we see somebody in that situation. And let's face it, people who are thinking these things to themselves are not available to public consumption most of the time, right, in those private thoughts. And so as voyeurs and really wanting to see those people taken down a peg. This is just sheer enjoyment for us <laughs> to see him indulging, being sick with self-love right in front of us when he thinks no one is watching. Uh, Mariah once told me she did affect me. Who knows what Mariah said? Maybe Mariah said, oh, the lady did, you know, compliment your attire today. So, you know, something small and polite that Mariah was just trying to say to get out of the conversation. Who knows? That should she fancy, it should be one of my complexion. Well, maybe what she was saying is that she wasn't, Olivia wasn't interested in Arsino, that she'd be more interested in somebody like Malvolio, who was more respectful, maybe more calm, without ever thinking or maybe she just said that just to get him wound up do you think that's what it is (laughs) you know um you know because he says i have i have heard herself come thus near the two she's it's so it's one of those i think it's more olivia being like oh my god i would sooner marry my steward than marry that (laughs) boy uh, yeah or his his temperance publicly is Mm -hmm. is, you know the thing that Mm -hmm, she's you know like totally She's like, I need a dude like you that just shuts mm-hmm. the hell up and stands there and does yeah. what he's supposed to do or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever yeah. Yeah. the case mm-hmm. was. 
But and he does say that Mariah told him. Right, something. Mariah so said that it's possible that she's she's planting she those seeds. Oh yeah, that Olivia might be interested in. So that that may be a little more uh, to the point than I was thinking initially. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, and then he flatters himself as he so does. So wonderful! I love all this. She uses me with a more exalted respect than anyone else that follows her. Well, it's his job. <laughs> It's literally his no, job. It's wonderful. It's all, you know. <laughs> literally his job for her to tell him what to do. <laughs> it's because he's special and, you know, his his butt's prettier than anyone else's and he has the go- most gorgeous locks and uh, he doesn't stink. <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone thinks he smells. <laughs> well, and he's not Toby, right? She doesn't talk to him like she talks to her drunk uncle. the sweetness she of it. It is to totally him. horrible, but, but it's like... But, it reminds me of, you know, Lucy in the Peanuts. You know, she has a lot of things mm-hmm, like this where she's mm-hmm. like, and they will sing songs to me and they will bow down to me and they always like, la 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 la. It, I just love that. I, I love it. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that every man in this play is a fuckboy. <laughs> <laughs> Quite honestly. Well, I'm racking my brain, and uh, I think you're just describing the Elizabeth. Well, or males, or males. Shakespeare uh, pulled from some knowledge, right? <laughs> <laughs> and let's be clear, there are plenty of fuck goyles out there. So, you know, it's it's all right. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it. Uh, but... Uh, Don't have people jailed. You know, Mm. To run roughshod over people's feelings is not okay. And that's really what we're talking about here. So, and then Toby, you know, cuts through all of Malvolio's <laughs> nonsense with that. Here's an overweening rogue. And there is so much fun comedy, physical comedy that you can do yeah. with the three. Um, folks this is a rough, rough uh, area that we're getting into here, staging wise, because it is so rich with the content mm. of the words, mm-hmm. the. Uh, just the revelations of Mount Volio. And so, but when you got a big wide open space and you got these three that you got to kind of uh, play with in this box tree area. So it's, it, this is, this does always uh, create a challenge for your director. That's going to, you know, like how do, how do you balance that preening grandiose carving out the dream that Malvolio does with the uh, hijinks of um of the the three trying to hold each other back from you know destroying the the mm-hmm. savage where you and a lot of the different moment. you know things directors of uh you know when it gets a, a little further into some of the you know and toby will do this and bow down to me and all of this kind of stuff uh i mean i've, I've seen that actually acted out where this dream thing the other mm-hmm. three get swept up into being a part of his thing or uh mm-hmm. yeah there's there is a whole lot that you can do and i highly recommend old marx yeah. brothers movies hmm. because th- they do this scene over <laughs> and over and over mm-hmm. in every movie they do mm-hmm. it, it's marvelous mm-hmm. well and this is for us um when we do it with original practices the fun thing mm-hmm. about this is that um this is one of those opportunities where our actors can go out into the audience and you know sit on people's picnic blankets and hide behind people's chairs and um you know and just make different choices every night about where they're going to go and who they're going to you know sometimes they'll they'll plump themselves down plump them 
let me try that again, plop themselves down to, next to somebody and, you know, all of their lines are to people in the audience instead of to, you know, instead of to each other or, you know, they'll hide behind the prompter and pop up. Like, so it's, it, it gives them all of these opportunities to really play with um, where they can go and what they can do. And that really speaks to the scene, how, how much these characters are stand-ins for us, mm -hmm. that they can seamlessly integrate amongst us in that situation and have the, the scene make possibly even more mm -hmm. sense than it did if they don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, the, you know, this scene alone, I think, is partly what keeps this play being performed over and over and over because even if you don't understand the words the tone is so clear we all get it we you know we have all hidden from you know the officious playground monitor the bossy older sibling the you know whoever it was that we felt oppressed by mm -hmm. <laughs> in you know hopefully in, in minor ways and yet real ways and then watching them getting taken down it's the best it, it's the best kind of humor because it's punching up mm -hmm. in a sense mm -hmm. and it's it comes close to punching down because technically you know Malvolio is a steward. Technically, he's lower in rank than Toby, but because it's Mariah, it's punching up. Mariah is protecting uh, her position, and she's protecting and we've got Festy. The, uh, the, that conceit here, you know, Marx Brothers Stooges classic style that um, mm -hmm. we get to see the reactions we would have. The audience, those three are us, you know, those three, you know, and so we've got exactly. someone that doesn't realize he's being watched, you know, and, and that's, that's just mm -hmm. the, the classic uh, setup. It's the classic That's so setup, much you know? fun. We get transported mm -hmm. into those. And, it, and I, I think it's telling that not only is Festy not there, but Mariah doesn't stick around either. <laughs> like if somebody's going to get caught behind the box hedge, mm -hmm. it can't be Mariah and Festy. Mm -hmm. And so they don't get to enjoy this, which is kind of a shame, but we can understand why it's it's too dangerous for them. So, and, you know, Fabian says, oh, peace, peace, shh, shh, shh. Contemplation makes a rare turkey cock of him. Mm -hmm. How he jets under his advanced plumes. God, what a dick this guy what a cock right hmm. and aggie cheek is getting all oh, yeah. worked up i could so yeah. beat the rogue and then toby's like no no calm down you know he doesn't want to they don't want to fuck up mariah's plan mm -hmm. i think the only person they're they're more scared of than malvolio is probably mariah <laughs> she's got the keys to the buttery bar <laughs> okay and then malvolio he he lets it out to be Count Malvolio. All right, <laughs> to an Elizabethan, this guy has condemned himself to hell. Mm. It was heresy to even think about wanting to change your social standing. And it was considered just as much heresy to be nobility 
to wish you weren't as it would have been to be a peasant uh, and wish you were. Shakespeare probably agrees with you. There's some stuff coming up for Malvolio. Mm -hmm. Well, and whether he agrees with me or not, he's writing plays for people where that is their world, where that is their truth. And it was just a much bigger crime than we ever realized, especially in the United States, because in our culture, it is a good, it's considered a public good, even a spiritual good, to start from nothing and through hard work and effort, work your way up into a more exalted, a more prosperous position. For us, that is seen as spiritual integrity, even, and that God favors you and all of this stuff. And this is a huge difference from even England today, where they still have a much more class-based culture just because of this, just because of this history and everything else. But certainly back in Elizabeth's time, this would have been a sin and lets us know that whatever Malvolio gets, he has coming. And I understand why people from our culture feel like it's unfair the way Malvolio gets tricked and punished. But to the Elizabethans, he he had it coming. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, when Toby goes, ah, oh, rogue, and Aguchik is pistol him, Aggie pistol him. A wannabe. Yeah, he's <laughs> ready to kill him. He's ready to kill him for wanting to be a count. And, you know, remember, too, that Aguchik wants yeah. to marry Olivia, too. So, you know, he he really has, he's got skin in this game, a lot of skin. He's like, no, I'm supposed to be the Count. Don't be silly. I could totally uh, take him in a fight if you weren't holding me back. That's right. That's right. We know you could, Aggie Cheek. And then Malvolia is still rationalizing. Oh, there's example for it. The Lady of the Stretchy married the Yeoman of the Wardrobe. And does not mention the whole thing about the master of the horse because those two stories were talked about a lot in terms of the public discourse of the day. Well, it's okay if Elizabeth does that. Look, the lady of the stretch, she did this. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, people had opinions. Hmm. And then Aggie Cheek is, oh, even more angry, talking about his lady here. And then Fabian's like, okay, you know, Fabian, who has less to lose of anyone there, says, shh, oh, peace. Now he's deeply in. Look how imagination blows him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew it was coming. He wrote them. It wasn't me. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger here. It's very clear what he's saying here. He's getting an imaginary blowjob. Huh. Malvolio, having been three months married to her, sitting in my state. Oh, what state would that be, Malvolio? And Toby, oh, for a stone bow to hit him in the eye. Uh, I'm just not going to go into it. You can all just figure it out. Okay. Um, Malvolio 
still going into his fantasies, calling my officers about me in my branched velvet gown, <laughs> having come from a daybed where I have left Olivia sleeping. Fire and brimstone. That's now Toby's. <laughs> now Toby's like, shut up, Andrew. This is serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because poor Toby has now been forced to imagine Malvolio having sex with Olivia and leaving her sexually sated on her daybed. None of us wanted that picture in our heads. In the middle of the afternoon. Right. Then. Yeah. And then Fabian's like, shh, 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 peace, peace. And then to have the humor and then, of state. And then laterally. Go ahead, go and ahead. Go ahead, read it. Humor of state. And after it's a mere travel of regard, telling them, I know my place as I would, they should do theirs. What's wrong with your microphone? Oh, what, can you hear me? Oh, okay. That's better. Sorry, yeah. I, I wasn't talking. Okay. Here. He was he was doing his Sorry, Malvolio I'll, I'll, as opposed I'll, to his tone. Oh, that's no that. no no it's uh, no 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 go back go back in go back in just give me a little more of your resonance. Let's okay. let's do um, And then can you hear me now? Right. Yes. Very very and nicely. To have the humor of state, and after a demure travel of regard, telling them I know my place. I would they should do theirs to ask for my kinsman Toby. Bolts oh. and shadows. <laughs> peace, peace, and then <laughs> go ahead and do Malvolio. Seven of my line, people then. with an obedient start make out for him. I frown the while and perchance wind up my watch. Go on, play with my some rich jewel. Toby approaches. <laughs> Courtesy's there to me. Okay, we'll stop there. All right. So, <laughs> so to have the humor of state means to have the aspect, the character of state. And after a demure travel of regard, telling them I know my place. So I'm I'm going to appear humble it's going to be very difficult for me but uh, i'm going to be humble because i know my place as i would they should do theirs <laughs> and then he brings up toby his kinsman toby fire and brimstone who can blame him um Oh, no, that's, um, sorry, that's bolts, bolts and, and shackles. Bolts and We've moved from fire and brimstone <laughs> to bolts and shackles, which, you know, he's just like at that point, just lock him up and put him away. He's clearly a menace. So at, at this point, Toby has really shifted from being, oh, this is going to be fun to being like, I want to kill him. <laughs> uh, he is not emotionally prepared. There is not enough alcohol in the world to allow Toby to feel okay with the way Malvolio is behaving. And he is genuinely concerned that this clearly demonically possessed person is in charge of his niece's household. He could bring them all down. He could bring the wrath of God down upon all of them by these heretical, crazy thoughts that he is having, which are not that different from Orsino's when you come right down to it. They are both picturing the same relationship 
with the same woman and one is his status is higher than hers one status is lower than hers and cannot help but feel like this is another message to elizabeth that neither of these people are good for you elizabeth hi <laughs> a poor, poor playwright am poor, poor playwright i'm good for you elizabeth shakespeare <laughs> Yeah. That's right. That's right, Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> yeah, marry your playwright. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. Um, okay, and uh, then he goes on, seven of my people with an obedient start make out for him. I frown the while and perchance wind up watch or play with my uh, some rich jewel. Okay, people, again, clear master. Listen, there's one joke. of the great Shakespearean dick jokes actually in all of western civilization coming up in the next page it's one of the very greatest <laughs> of all time if you all even right. hesitate all right well we to get that <laughs> <laughs> well then i'm glad i have you here in case i miss it somehow <laughs> but again it speaks back to olivia's original condemnation of malvolio where she says you are sick of self-love and masturbation you know the sin of onanism was still a thing to the elizabethans again because your duty was to create children for god and you know it's kind of okay because he's a steward he's not married but to be thinking about doing that when he's married to olivia yeah he's like he's already left her yeah. sleeping on the daybed. That's not enough. He's got to he's got to play with his well, own nuts it's, it's on not his so own. Much time. like you know, uh, Orsino <laughs> will at least linger over a woman's uh, you know describing the but you know uh, Malvolio uh, gives that attention to his his uh, the the ornaments of state and power. You know, I mean, he's really there mm -hmm. for the uh, he, he wants mm -hmm. to mess with everyone. He's he's always leaving the daybed or being invited to the daybed. We never get Malvolio in the daybed mm -hmm. in these thoughts. You know, <laughs> right, right. He's never talking about how beautiful she is right. or how smart Which she is or, or anything like that. He's just talking about how he can fondle his jewels, <laughs> you know, if if he's married to her and still what get, the great, you know, uh, uh, still have plenty of kind money. Of, uh, uh, classic blocking moments of all time is in this scene. Malvolio coming outside. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard it. It's, it's the, the classic. He comes outside of the garden. <laughs> They're watching him. It's before he begins his first word. He's walking along the path, looking around a little. So over to the sundial, looks up at the sun, corrects the sundial. Continues <laughs> 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 on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's probably like 100 sounds... years old or something. But it's, it's, oh, thank you. It's, that's funny, a lovely funny. one. <laughs> this guy is. Uh... That's cute. <laughs> okay. And. Uh... And he's then he starts fantasizing about what he's going to say to Toby, which of course is is high comedy. You must amend your drunkenness. Oh, oh! Before that, though, is saying, "Cousin Toby, my fortunes having cast me on your niece, give me this prerogative of speech." What? what? 
Sir Toby. You must amend your drunkenness. Well, <laughs> that's a bridge too far. That is way too far. Mm -hmm. And then Fabian realizes that like things are getting heated up. He's having a tough time keeping Toby from just jumping out of that box edge and um, challenging Malvolio to a duel or just just punching him. Besides, you waste the treasure of your time with a foolish knight. <laughs> Oh, yeah. thank you, Cheeks. Happy to be mentioned. Oh, that's me, I warrant you. <laughs> One Sir Andrew. Oh, I knew twas I for many to call me fool. God, yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> Poor Andrew. Malvolio, what employment have we here? So employment at that time meant anything that could take up your time, anything that was something for you to deal with. He picks up the letter. Fabian says, now is the woodcock near the gin? Dick joke. Also, uh, a you know a joke about uh, birds Juniper. and gin and farm machinery and all farm kinds machinery. of things that I I can't go into here right now. Oh, peace and the spirit of humor Ooh, intimate wow. reading aloud to him. So he is praying mm -hmm. that Malvolio reads the letter out loud as we all hope because otherwise this would be a very short scene <laughs> and Malvolio says go ahead Bridget by my life this is my lady's hand these be her very C's her U's and her T's and thus makes she her great Peas. It is in contempt of question her hand. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> are you calling Rachel. this a dick joke? Well, I guess it's not a dick joke. You're right. It's the opposite of a dick joke. But we're it's we're both. firmly in Rachel land here. It's both. <laughs> this, is, this is a C U N T. Exactly. Joke. This is that is this is what the to be or not is. to be. And, uh, I'm not even going to say the word out loud because I it, it it's it's still a pretty uncomfortable gender slur for a uh, lot unless of people. you got a and really so, pissed off Irishman in a bar yelling at another one. It's yeah. a different thing. I know that it's a different thing in the UK that it's kind of more of a just a funny little word. Like we could say bullocks and it's fine, but over there it's apparently I, like, a very I, I got offensive some word. Friends from uh, across the seas that were live. Uh, uh, commenting on the uh presidential debate last night that was mm -hmm. all over mm -hmm. the place and my their facebook was just like yes. bah, 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 c's u's and t's yep just like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so and then you know bless sir andrew her c's her u's <laughs> and her t's in case anyone didn't oh, get yeah. that out there uh, <laughs> yeah and in case anybody and, was wondering uh, if he's a virgin oh <laughs> oh yeah. Poor Sir Andrew. That's it. Oh, That's poor Sir Andrew. Yeah. And so, you know, again, the actors can just yeah. have so much fun. This is the great with stuff. All of this. Again, though, hard to stage. And this is, we're, it's a long road to hoe this scene, you know, especially the act of reading mm -hmm. a letter. You know, and then where do you kind of draw yes. the line between like I'm I'm experiencing the thing I'm reading, or I'm experiencing mm -hmm. the act of reading it, or I'm I, am I doing the sign language acting it out for the audience, mm -hmm. or you know? And so much of Shakespeare 
is people reading, reading, reading letters. letters man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. much of it, Love's Labor's Lost, is nothing oh, but letters. Rough. Yeah, that one is. Uh, <sighs> we, you know, we we did yeah. that. Just a quick side note. We, uh, I, I, uh, this is Branna. This is before this, but I threw it into a bar and made a uh, music that they were giving. They were a no, bar band. Oh, that's clever. It was, it was good. That's stuff. clever. It was good stuff. But yeah, that was. Uh, otherwise, that plays almost insurmountable nowadays. But it's wonderful. Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no, it's too. Verone though, it's too though is amazing. Light seeking light yeah. doth light of light beguile. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at noon. So we're going to end another season of the about- use and the ends of the T's. <laughs> and we're going to pick I it up with so the C's and the use and the ends of the T's next week. I think so, because we've got that whole well, letter mm-hmm. to go through, and that's probably going to take us an hour on its own. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great, that's a great place to cliffhanger it. <laughs> what better place to pause? <laughs> oh, yeah. well, <laughs> that's your end note. <laughs> well, and the listeners won't hear a pause. They, they won't hear any pause at all. That they can go in the outtake reel. You just have, you and I just have, to, oh, I'll put a little pause in there. I think it's cute. Oh, man. Like put a little bit of musical interlude in there. <laughs> All right. Thank you both so much. It's just fun to make John blush. <laughs> it really is. Only for a cocktail, but cheers. <laughs> uh, All right, you friends. Guys are the best. I'll see you next week. So are you. Okay. Bye, guys. Take you latest. <laughs> the C and the U and the T are references to uh, another word, uh, C-U-N-T, which is really rude in the United States. And I know not so rude in England, but all that aside, uh, a cut was in and of itself just another word for vagina and it still kind of is there's lots of other euphemisms for vagina that uh, imply some sort of opening in the body which makes a heck of a lot of sense since that's what it is but c-u-t was a euphemism specifically for the word c-u-n-t in elizabethan england which later when Uh, Toby says, you can call me cut. That adds a whole other level to that, uh, that little exchange. It, it means more than the obvious meaning at the time, which is that um, uh, I'm ghosting you basically, but we'll get to that. Spoiler alert, Toby can be a jerk. (laughs) Okay. So Aggie Cheek has to have this explained to him. Bless. And... 
meanwhile, while they're doing all these shenanigans in the box hedge, Malvolio is continuing to read. And, and I, I love here, if, if I could just yeah. interject real quick, I love here, um, you know, any of the moments when you get to see the characters uh, by themselves, not interacting or realizing that they're interacting with other people, you know, and then they think they're on their own, mm. just the way that he treats the letter, you know, and uh, thereby like kind of, you know, uh, his affection for Olivia, you know, the, his delicacy with it and his, his like ginger, you know, like beautiful little language with it and everything. It's just, it just charms the hell out of me every time. They, um, that we're, we've got these diabolical, uh, you know, villain as far as these guys are concerned. This just sort of gingerly, you know, kind of prancing up and down and it's, <laughs> you know, talking to this lovely little letter and all of these little, you know, he's just like, you know, a little garden gnome about the whole thing or what a garden fairy about the thing. It's just, it's a great dichotomy for me. They're like, the hell with him and C's and U's and T's. And he's like, oh, my, should I pull this part of the envelope thusly or should I, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I, I love Malvolio a lot. Well, and here he's proving how much he loves the sound of his own voice by reading the letter out loud. Yeah, and that's a good point. That's what, you know, Toby, Shakespeare through Toby gives us uh, kind of a clue in on the joke as well. You know, in addition to the, to the cut, the C-U-T, mm -hmm. uh, Toby says uh, intimate reading aloud mm -hmm. to him, you know, that, and uh, which Manvolio does. And when you say it, of course, C's, U's, and T's, you mm -hmm. get it right there. C's, U's, and T's, C's, U's, and T's. The whole thing's laid out, you know, right for you. Pretty directly, yeah. Yeah. I actually... Uh, just to make it extra clear to my audience, I had my actors like uh, YMCA style, like form the letters. <laughs> to, there you go. You know, T. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case people didn't catch the joke, because, you know, I've always got to uh, uh, bludgeon people over the head with this stuff. Uh, just because it's fun. And... You know, the fact that Malvolio has been already talking to himself, I think, makes it seem less odd that he starts reading the letter out loud. You know, it's pretty weird for somebody to be practicing how they're going to put down their co-workers out loud. Is it? Most of uh -oh. us uh -oh. Uh -oh. in our heads quietly. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's not everybody does that out loud. So what's the rearview mirror in the car for you guys? <laughs> or the shower? <laughs> or the sh yeah, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess maybe that's what sets me apart. I'm not an actor. I don't say this stuff out loud. I just say it in my head. <laughs> um, but uh, luckily for us, Malvolio does like to express himself out loud, and so. Uh, he's, uh, by my life, oops, by my life, this is my lady's hand. And so, you know, that has to do with the particular kind of handwriting that she used. And we've discussed elsewhere that people use different handwritings for different functions. And so he would have recognized this as her informal hand rather than it's not the hands that she used to order supplies or send a note to the the queen or something like that and 
it is in contempt of question her hand. So he's already, he's swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. We already know that he's assumed that it's she who wrote this, which we know, of course, it wasn't. It was Mariah. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, John, you want to go ahead and read Malvolio's line, uh, 1115 there? Uh, let's see. For you, Is that to this unknown? To the unknown? Yeah, to the okay. unknown. To the unknown beloved, this and my good wishes are very phrases <laughs> by your leave wax, soft, and the impression her Lucrece with which she used to see, tis my lady, to whom should this be? <laughs> <laughs> He's very excited. Wonderful uh, day. It's a wonderful day for him. It is a wonderful is. day for Malvolio. And then Fabian observes correctly, this wins him liver and all, meaning that even down to the most basic part of his body that keeps him going, his liver, he has uh, taken the bait. And let's see, you want to read the next one, John? Jove knows I love, but who? Lips do not move. No man must know. No man must know. What follows? The numbers, the numbers altered. No man must know. <laughs> this should be the Malvolio. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading this and about, you know, the love and everything. And you know, this could have been a letter from Mariah to Toby. Right? Mm. It's a similar, you know, even though everybody knows, no man must know. Uh, but of course, Toby knows what it is. So I'm just pointing out that Malvolio is really making a leap here. <laughs> that didn't have to be what he imagines it to be. Except that, of course, Mariah did everything she could to make him think that. So, And he is sick of self-love, so he's it, always going to assume it's about him. You're absolutely right there. Um, so... There's an, an interesting thing in here also yeah. that's setting up kind of the idea of... Um, you know, uh, uh, Malvolio mentions numbers here, mm -hmm. the, the numbers altered, um, which I mean, it, from this point on in his in the letter here, there's uh, literally centuries of master's theses about uh, <laughs> exactly thesi, theses, the theses. Oh, let's avoid theses. Is it theses? Theses. <laughs> we'll say we'll say thesatus. How about that? Thesis. <laughs> Uh, where we're getting into the big uh, uh, heart of the Fustian riddle uh, with the MOAI. But the idea of the number is very important because um, as we get into this kind of anagram stuff, I, we get the sense from him that he's trying to work something out there. Uh, of the time, this was, uh, uh, you know, meter, um, arrangement of letters, and the placement of numbers. This was all something that, that the Elizabethans uh, 
much to the joy of conspiracy theorists everywhere nowadays, <laughs> were, uh, were they participated in, perhaps not to the level that some of our more zealous uh, bloggers out there would uh, ascribe them, but um, uh, and him, him sounding things out to get mm-hmm. some of her and counting them out to get some of uh, additional layers of intent uh, out of this letter would have been uh, something that um, uh, the the other people of that time were familiar with. Also, you know, it, like his uh, uh, um, the relationship between the. Uh, well, I'll just leave it there. You can, you can snip this sentence. I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. Yeah, well, it, it'll present itself. No, all right. Too far ahead. All right. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, you know, you're certainly right about that. And they loved anagrams. They loved word puzzles. It was a big, a a huge entertainment pastime for them to do these different kinds of word puzzles, much the way people do Sudoku or crossword puzzles right now. They loved the heck out of this stuff. So you're absolutely right that it would not have been unusual for him to sit there and try and work out a particular code and two we have to understand that these were people that had a lot of trade secrets and a lot of navigational secrets they often had to put even just regular correspondence in code and so code breaking was something that lots of people would have needed just in their daily lives just to conduct their business guild secrets, all kinds of secrets. Um, You know, if somebody came up with a a particularly beautiful dye for leather gloves or something, they're not going to share that with everybody, but they need to have the recipe written down somewhere. And so they too would have had some kind of code that they would have just explained to a couple people. So here he's looking at... uh, M-O-A-I, doth sway my life. They command what I adore, but silent like a lucrece knife, with bloodless stroke, my heart doth gore. M-O-A-I, doth sway <laughs> my life. A fustian riddle. <laughs> what now I want to see... I want to see a one man Twelfth Night with John playing all the parts. Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, stop. No, of course. Sign me up. So, uh, this is the second time now this has come up the Lucrece, Lucrece, Lucrece's. Let's see uh, who's got something on that. Lucrece? Ah, the Lucrece knife. So, that's a mythological reference, which I'm going to look up right now. Oh, it's probably a dick joke. I don't know why I'm trying to. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember a knife in the Lucrece. Well, if he used a knife, like a knife would be, um, you know, synonym for penis. Mm. Silence like a Lucrece knife. Allusion to rape. Yeah, it's allusion to rapes. Okay, that's what we'd expect. Well, let's move move along. That's, <laughs> that's not very fun. I, I don't know why we stopped there. Sorry about that. No, no, no. We got to talk about it. This is important. Mm-hmm. 
So when he's talking about a Lucretia knife there, he's referring to the rape of Lucretia, which was one of his big poems. Um, something that a lot of people don't realize is that Shakespeare made a lot of his money by writing basically blockbuster seller erotic poetry. And the first of those was Venus and Adonis. And the second one was The Rape of Lucretia, which for me is kind of a rough slog, honestly. Mm. Um, Venus and Adonis is kind of like hearted in a way, although it does end as it always does with Adonis being castrated. Spoiler alert. Um, and in that sense, you can't really say that castration is necessarily better or worse than rape so we'll just call it a a null set there for uh, healthy sexual relationships in Shakespeare's poetry <laughs> not so good <laughs> nonetheless uh, incredible bestsellers and had a lot to do with his success as a playwright because people came to see his plays because they knew that he was the one that had written those poems so you know, there have been a few bestsellers, kind of soft porn things that uh, didn't do a thing for me, particularly. They sure sold a lot of books. Hmm. And, uh, you know, no judgment if you enjoy those books, that's fine. But pretty much, you know, if you imagine if one of those authors had written a play or a movie, um, you know, even a completely separate piece of media they would have had a lot of publicity they would have had a lot of people going to check it out and so that's the position that Shakespeare was in when he started his playwriting career and so this is a reference back to you know one of his most famous works and he's basically saying that she's inviting herself to be raped and I Again, think that's an important point. Like, we have a hard time really seeing Malvolio for the villain that he really is. He's talking about raping her, and he's basically saying, look, she's asking for it. And in a sense, there is no proper way, there's no respectable way for a woman in Olivia's position to entertain the, the affections of her steward. And so people would use, in particular rapists, would use the excuse of, oh, well, you know, she wanted it, but she couldn't say so because of the difference in our status. And, you know, frankly, that's bullshit. But, you know, he's using it here to rationalize to himself that he, she must want him to take her by force. No man must know. And this is a, this is a bit of a joke because if, if no man must know, she's basically saying that he's not a man. So, no. but he doesn't, he doesn't catch that, you know, he's a good narcissist and you know, anything he doesn't want to hear, he just doesn't hear and says, I may command where I adore, but silence like a Lucretia knife with bloodless stroke, my heart doth gore. 
This is some heady stuff. Um, M-O-A-I, doth sway my life. And so then he has to go, oh, let me see, let me see. And Fabian's gone, holy crap, what dish of poison has she dressed him? He's impressed with Mariah's uh, ability to <laughs> trap Malvolio, as we all are. And then he's, uh, Toby says, and with what wing the Staniel checks at it. So he's saying that, you know, Malvolio is eager for this quarry, and he is the quarry. Okay. And then Malvolio says, I may command where I adore she may command me i serve her she is my lady and so you know he's continuing to convince himself that you know she wants him to take her forcibly and then he's like kind of waffling softly m-o-a-i and then toby's getting a little impatient here fabian says relax uh Souter will cry upon it for all this, though it be as rank as a fox. So uh, Souter is another reference to a dog. And then Malvolio, a little slow on the uptake here. M, Malvolio, M. Why, that begins my name. Well, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> it does, Malvolio. Oh, boy. And so um, then he goes on with a little bit more of this, we don't have to go over each line. Uh, there is more dick jokes. Um, uh, Toby says, I, I'll cudgel him and make him cry. Oh, uh, and then Malvolio says, and then I comes behind. Well, okay, Malvolio and Toby, we didn't need that image in our heads. Uh, and Fabian says, I, and you had any eye behind you, which we all do. Um, and I was another reference to a butthole. You might well, see this, more detraction at your heels than fortunes before you. So, yeah. This is, uh, uh, this whole scene's, uh, pretty ripe with, uh, once MOAI is mentioned, he mm -hmm. weaves it in and in and in and out and all over throughout the whole thing. Some of the lines, um, you know, much like this ease to use in the NTs, we, it's, um, I and you had an eye behind you. Mm. Uh, and and oh shall and I hope. Mm. Uh, I'll cudgel him, make him cry, oh. It's it's constantly being reaffirmed the entire time, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is super <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know, of course, then the begging the question, what exactly is MOAI? Yeah, now yeah, I want to look that up. <laughs> well, that, that's, I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, question that everyone, you know, always tries Everybody's to answer. Everybody's wondering, yeah, what, what does MOAI mean? Olivia, uh, well, um, Olivia uh, Malvolio tells us a little bit of direction. He says, if I can crush this a little, mm -hmm. or if I can make this, fit something like me and so it's the that idea again of the numbers and of the switching the letters in their order and so a lot of people get that i am o out of it 
Oh. Um, I am Olivia. I am mm. O. That he's mm. you know, with him looking for, but it, it's one of those things, man. I mean, there's some ancient like uh, uh, Latin phrases that have mm-hmm. to do with uh, romance that, uh, uh, or from from some like great romances and stuff that uh, you know people think that it it's a uh, mispronunciation or a misreading of mm. that. There's um, uh, where every word stands for part of the Latin phrase. Um, mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you can Google till your heart's content. <laughs> well, it's and knowing she- artichokes, o- only artichokes. It's about artichokes only. Nice. <laughs> well, and you know what artichokes <laughs> represent, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> oh, we won't go into all the. Uh... And, and the big, like the, you know, the idea I think that he keeps coming around to is it's of his name, you know. Yes, uh, that's yes. The, the main thing is that he's. Um, mm-hmm. And he's knowing Shakespeare, him. like we never need to ask ourselves, is it either this meaning or that meaning? We can mm-hmm. safely assume that he meant both, and <laughs> all those different layers. Okay. And maybe it was a hit song of the day. Like we don't, we have no way of knowing. Right. So W-A-P. frustrating. Like you get a time machine and you're like, well, you could do anything with it. You can only go once. But, you know, we would go back to try and find out what M-O-A-I meant. <laughs> <laughs> once and for all, dang it. Oh, boy. I don't know. I keep one foot in a time machine. Yeah. medical thing back then was <sighs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't need elizabethan doctors up in me you know no so. no 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 you don't want to yeah. stay there you don't want to catch anything take uh, penicillin with you take yes. penicillin yeah. and uh, aspirin frankly mm. um yeah okay so then we get into malvolio's long monologue here and when actors have a huge monologue like this, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge for the actor to memorize it, first of all. Although you got the letter right there. So you got the letter do. right You'll there. You'll have to memorize so, half of it. <laughs> and so that helps. I think that helps a great deal. And yet, if you're going to be acting, then, you know, you read it, you look up from the, the letter you find your place in it again, that all has to go very smoothly. And it's not as easy as it sounds if you've never tried it. Um, It can be very, very difficult to read a letter on stage. And boring. A long, what could be. It can be very boring. And this is a a huge letter. I mean, I, the, the key is to play the tax that you're given, you know, that, that Shakespeare's given him. He's got the discovery of the letter and then he's got his wonderful feelings about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So those those two agents, mm-hmm. uh, get they get you a lot of ground covered. Well, and mm-hmm. so much of Shakespeare revolves around somebody reading a letter. <laughs> I, there must have been a whole class in it. <laughs> in the Elizabethan theater, there must have been letter reading for beginners. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and given that, I mean, literacy was reasonably common in the Elizabethan era, but 
the, the kinds of letters you got, the way you read them, the way you were able to interpret them had a lot to do with your education and your class. And so the fact that he's reading it in this way indicates that he got a certain level of education. And, it, you know, it, it gives us a lot of information here. It's really kind of masterful exposition, this letter. Oh, yeah. It's got the, the to be or not to be moment for the show in it. In, in many ways, it does. Um, so when when I'm helping actors work through something like this, uh, we do something called finding the beat. And not everybody who listens to this podcast will be an actor. Not everybody has gone through that experience of what finding a beat is. There's a lot of people with a literature background or, you know, they just want to know about Shakespeare. So can the two of you explain about what a beat is and how you find it? <laughs> you mean like something to dance to? Or <laughs> it's on the two and the four. I mean, in, this, in this moment here, this is prose. The letter's prose. So it's a little different than pentameter. And when you're trying to find the meter, you know, he even says in the beginning, soft here follows prose. And he goes into this monologue. Um, so that, that being said, things do have peaks and valleys. And you do want to um, communicate them uh with a thorough knowledge of, uh, of, of the audience being able to understand it and to make sure that you're hitting, you know, most of our uh, lines come out in a single breath. It's about 10 beats or so. And you'll find a lot of the sentences are gonna fall, even in prose, gonna fall somewhere around that universe, just so that we get that complete sentence out, the complete thought. But wonderful thing about prose is that it's the closest, you know, that we get in uh, Shakespearean acting to those method moments and it's, busted up here with a lot of moments where um, he is, you know, previously in, in all this uh, prose where he is, um, you know, the, the, the letter had been versed, but he's coming in and able to react, you know? And mm -hmm. so we get those, um, those great kind of method moments of, um, uh, you know, pause, think, 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 let me show you some acting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so you've got all the time for that. This here is um, it's some of the best, poetic language in the show, you know? Um, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And you can tell there, like you're saying with the beat in the meter and that, you know, um, uh, if this fall into thy hand, revolve. We get into this celestial kind okay, of. Okay, well, let's know? hold. Let's hold off on that stuff because we haven't got to those lines yet. But oh, sorry. Okay. Um, that's okay. That's okay. But what I'm really asking about is emotional beats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like this is, you know, if we, I think a lot of times, you know, actors understandably don't necessarily understand everything that they're reading. And if you don't understand what you're reading, or if you're reading it, uh, and don't know, you know, maybe you're not an actor, if you don't see those shifts in emotion, it makes it really hard to understand what's going on. So uh, it's a complete thought that transitions to the next thought. And it's where are those transitions? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And discovery, yeah. you know, throughout, there's discovery mm-hmm. happening all the time. And it's always such a challenge, especially with Shakespeare, to take the time to have the discovery. You know, we, we're so mm-hmm. eager to, to get those good words out. But mm-hmm. to make sure that you're actually going through the discovery, you know, you can do it on the meter or however that works out. But uh, yeah, the information, remember, that's all that acting is for all of you at home. Uh, you know, they, that's what one of the things they teach us is that you're, you're wanting something, you're getting it or not. You're discovering something. It has a meaning to you. You know, um, it's these these positive movements of uh, the plot, these forward movements of the plot. Things are being decided and discovered and unearthed and you have feelings about that. So you can't forget all of that. Yeah, no. No. And finding those emotional moments, finding those shifts in tone, it really helps break up what can otherwise be kind of a a long monotonous monologue. So at the beginning, he's still kind of in puzzle solving mode. And uh, he's going, oh, it, it would bow to me for every one of these letters are in my name. Soft. And so he's basically talking to himself. Um, Here follows prose. Uh, How many of you have seen or have done the if this fall into thy hand revolve and then have Malvolio turn around? It's so fun. (laughs) I love these cheesy jokes. Um, And it gives the people behind the the box hedge a chance to all have to duck really fast as Malvolio Mm -hmm. turns all the way around. Let's see. In my stars, I am above thee. But and here's the greatest line ever. And uh, Bridget, I'm going to let you read that. (laughs) In my stars, I am above thee. But be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in case uh, you didn't get it there's a dick joke there okay um and you know unfortunately now we're going back to rape of lucrece here also in someone having greatness thrust upon them um thy fates open their hands let thy blood and spirit embrace them and to inure thyself to what thou art like to be and so what what the letter is saying here is that uh, basically uh, dress for the job you want, not the job that you have. Um, if you if you want to be like this, then you need to present yourself this way. Cast thy humble sloth and appear fresh. And is it slough or is it sloth? I always thought it was sloth. Well, here in Coos Bay, it's slew. We have a it's slew. slew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's a, a muddy water thing. Ah. And appear fresh. Be opposite with a kinsman, Toby, surly with servants. But all, all that to say, I do think it is slough. Yes, I think so. That, that you know, getting rid of those extra layers. Like sloughing a skin. Yeah, yeah, like a snake sloughs its skin. Everyone exactly. out there in... Uh, Podcast land all together and blah. <laughs> okay, you're good. <laughs> oh, and this line, let thy tongue tang arguments of state 
Isn't that great? That's mm. so good. Oh, all those teas. Put thyself into the trick of singularity, which here means just think about yourself. Is that how you two would interpret that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put thyself into the trick of singularity. The trick. Tongue tang arguments of state. Put thyself into the trick of singularity. Yeah, it's got some of that to it. The trick mm-hmm. of singularity. Singularity. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, yep. you're the center of the universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She thus advises thee that size for thee. Well, that's, that's very romantic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Remember who commended thy yellow stockings. <laughs> well, um, it was said that um, Queen Elizabeth hated the color yellow. And people did not wear uh, the color yellow in her court. And it had a connotation of uh, not only sickness and the plague, but apparently it was a very popular color in King Henry's the eighth's court uh, right after her mother was murdered. And so there's <laughs> some thought that perhaps she associated that color with her mother's death. Sheer conjecture, people. Mm-hmm. Complete and total conjecture. But what is not conjecture is that she did not like the color yellow. And so, again, you know, we're bringing this back to uh, Queen Elizabeth. And remember who com- commended thy yellow stockings and wished to see thee ever cross gartered. At this point, cross gartering was an old fad and had gone out of favor a long time ago. It would be a lot now like showing and we can wear anything now so it hardly this hardly counts anymore but um, it would be like wearing a polyester leisure suit and it wasn't a (laughs) 70s party exactly (laughs) unironically wearing a polyester leisure suit sans about slacks yes yes (laughs) perfect um or even uh, like something that people can't even remember now from the seventies so much people used to wear these jumpsuits and (laughs) they were just like amazingly and horrific and they would have zippers and maybe only one shoulder and oh those are back with the kids oh my gosh well the youngs love a jumpsuit (laughs) but how do you pee woman how do you pee (laughs) i am not a young I loved them at the time. And, you know, I mean, I still love wearing overalls and coveralls. So I totally get it. Um, But anyway, moving along, it was an old fashioned uh, fashion and one that no serious person certainly would have worn. Festy might have worn them as a joke. And then he goes on, I say, remember, go to, in other words, uh, make it so go do this thing, thou art made. And made means uh, you've made it, you're promoted, you've, you've got land, you've got income. Uh, A made man is still a phrase that we're familiar with. If thou desirest to be so, if not, in other words, you don't want this promotion, you don't want to rape me. Okay, then go be a steward still. 
the fellow of servants and not worthy to touch fortune's fingers, farewell. She would alter, she that would alter services with thee, the fortunate unhappy is how she signs it. And so this whole part is what she is reading, what she, this whole part is the part that Mariah wrote in Olivia's hand. And so from the next uh, paragraph here, he's talking about his feelings about what he has just read. A big F-U at the end of the letter. <laughs> nice. I don't know if that would have been a pun back then, but I would have put it past him. I think that's a, that's a good point. The F-U. And then he says, daylight and champagne discovers not more, which I love this phrase. Like, yeah. you know, if you've ever got a friend and you're you can tell they're upset about something and you want them to talk about it you ply them with liquor to get them to open up about whatever the heck is bothering them and is that what happens <laughs> that's why these friends keep I thought taking it was you that we off were supposed to be drinking and then okay all right let me write hold on <laughs> they drink they yeah they drink, drink. Yeah. <laughs> And daylight, of course, you know, in a in a time without electric lighting, there was an awful lot that you would not find out until the sun came up. Well, it's just such a lovely exclamation. And uh, it, it does really almost feel like it should have that exclamation point there, you know. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and, then, and then to follow it up with, this is open. I mean, like, it's just, you know, daylight and champagne is going to, like, this is open. Like, it's, it's crystal clear. This was ob incredibly obvious. You know, I mean, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't, yeah, it's right there on the page. Yes. <laughs> the poor sweet guy. It's, it's like, I, I don't quite see it that way, but. Of course, of course I want a million dollars. Of course she wants me to rape her. Why would she? I don't know. If, I don't know that he's. I mean, he's guilty of a lot of things, but I don't know that the the rape. I mean, the Lucrece thing I, with the allusion to the reference. There's the silence. She says, "Silence like a Lucrece knife." Mm -hmm. You know, like that. It's a silent tear. You know, this mm -hmm. like that. It's. I have to be quiet. You know, with with uh, my affection. You know, for me, it, it smacks of somewhere there. But I think Melville will do a lot of things. I don't know if he's. Uh, you know got all that uh that is you know but we can agree to disagree well well no we can't and this is okay. <laughs> i'm sorry um or not well here's the deal and um of course we can agree to disagree except that it's a really important point to understand how the elizabethans saw rape and how that worldview has come forward today and why we have to hold Shakespeare accountable for kind of cavalierly um, continuing those kinds of views. Now, there isn't actually a lot of rape in Shakespeare's plays, um, unless, you know, you really look at 
women who are forcibly married to people that they don't want to marry. And that was often the form that rape took in that era, especially among the elite. But it was also true that, you know, if a young woman of lower status was raped, that then she could be forced to marry her attacker. It was a law on the books. And when you consider that the Elizabethans took a lot of their cues for morality from the ancient Greeks, then it all becomes a little too clear because 90% of ancient Greek mythology is somebody getting raped. And well, Shakespeare isn't shy from the idea, you know, yeah. of, it does represent it in the canon. You've got your measure for measure. You've got your, I mean, in, in uh, mm -hmm. one of the big problems in, in the Midsummer Night's Dream is, is you're working on um, now, mm -hmm. you know, Helena is never, um, D Demetrius never loses the love uh, uh, juice, as it were, from his eyes. And, mm -hmm. and there's a big argument to be made there and some darker productions have, have really explored that um that that some of that although she's initially um of course just rhapsodically in love with Demetrius uh that that uh, some horrible things can happen I for my dollar when it's overt or when it's when it's really um you know a, a part of the plot or something that's that's yeah specific in um I I have seen Shakespeare kind of treat it uh, as an author. So uh, not that necessarily everyone gets their comeuppance and it's a much more, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a prick, white, middle-aged ass. So don't listen to me. You know, what do I know about any of this? But, but um, he, I, I do think he was a subtle and, and, and gifted enough author that there are some, uh, prices to be paid for some of these characters that behave in that way. You know, your Chirons, your Demetrius's with Lavinia. Um, you know, there's, there's, I, I don't think that, that he's guilt free in being a product of his time, but I think he's, there's something in him that's aware. Well, he's like, we can't, you know, we can't go back and find out what Shakespeare really thought about rape, but we can definitely conclude that he didn't have enough of an opinion either way for us to know. <laughs> so in that sense, and just more in the sense of the time period, I mean, there's an awful lot about Shakespeare and some of Shakespeare's plays that make me uncomfortable. Um, you know, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in The Merchant of Venice. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of racist of it, isn't that kind of the whole no thing? I don't I don't necessarily think that he is and there's a lot of racist subtext basically running through all of his plays and certainly a tremendous amount of misogynist rhetoric running through all of his plays and all of his poems and when we produce these we have to be sensitive to those. We have to be more sensitive to them for our time period than Shakespeare was because he wasn't living in our time period. He did, you know, he did not have the benefit of the kind of consciousness raising and the kind of education and understanding that. Yeah, but he had the burden of it, of it being a much, you know, more, uh, uh, horrific and, and visceral society, you know, in a lot of ways where these kinds of affronts and just uh, horrible things were more of an, an everyday currency than where 
caste and, and class and status would condemn people to lives that were filled with this, you know, he was still of that time and of that ilk. And well, John, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to bring you down, but that shit's still going on. No, it's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, still it, happening it at the yeah, same yeah. at the same level. Uh, we don't have bear baiting, not in the United States. Uh, but there are uh, all of the horrific things that we read about the Elizabethans and the things that we see happening in his plays have happened, continue to happen somewhere. And so can I just say that I feel yeah. absolutely doomed walking down this conversation path <laughs> with you right now. <laughs> Well, like I just feel peril everywhere. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to our like, world, really John. Just wanna, <laughs> welcome to our world. The, the but that's <laughs> but that is the reality, John. Unfortunately, no, that's yeah. that's the yeah. reality that many of us go through. That we have to be careful where we walk. We have to be careful who we talk to, what we say, yeah. who we smile at. Uh, all of that stuff. We we have to what be incredibly do? careful. Oh, we've got a kitty. <laughs> Sorry. That's Sat on my right. mute button. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hear anything. Um, but, you know, all of that aside, we cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, assume that Malvolio did not intend to rape Olivia if he had the means to do so. And when you no, look- It's so important to him that he's accepted and that he, she wants him. I mean, what, I understand where you're coming from, like culturally and socially, but but look what he says, you know, what he says, of, he's so tentative and, and so easily swayed in everything that happens, you know? I just, I can't su subscribe that much physical prowess and appetite to him, you know? he's I, Well, I will tell you, that 90% of rapists, when asked, say she wanted it. Right. I mean, okay. I get you. I, I see what you're saying. So he is being set up here to think that she, that she that wants she that. So that wants, would then be. And rape. it doesn't take him anything to come to that conclusion. He had already decided, which he, you know, is talking about earlier before he even reads the letter, he's already decided that she wants him. And this is a common thing that happens just between human beings. I'm not even talking just about rapists, but we get confused about others' feelings towards us. Like this is just, and it's the source of all romantic comedy, right? We don't know what the heck somebody else wants unless we come out and ask them. And then we may not even believe the answer that they give us. We may come up with rationalizations and everything else. But he is going through all the motions that when we talk to somebody today who's in a relationship or who knows somebody who is basically stalking them as he is essentially stalking Olivia, that they go through these rationalizations that, oh, um, she wants it. Uh, and then they strategically remove their support structure in order to make them more vulnerable. And so this is what is behind Malvolio trying to get rid of Toby and Mariah and Festy is 
by removing those, then he makes her much more vulnerable than at that point. He's the only one she has. She's shut everybody else out. And so to me, this is like a huge red flag. You know, if I have a friend and they have a new boyfriend and they've told her that, you know, that she's not allowed to talk to me, that, you know, she's not allowed to go to her um, quilting class or whatever, you know, they will gradually like eliminate all your support structures and then gaslight you into thinking, <laughs> you know, whatever they want you to think. And so from my perspective, this all feels scary and dangerous, not cute and funny. You know, he is willing to turn out her friends in the cold. He's willing to lie saying that she wants them to go. She did in the kitchen sing. Uh, it's incredibly manipulative and would put her in a terrible position. Like really, if you think about, if you put your mind in the future, if Malvolio got what he wanted. I agree that's some of the you know? effects. You know, I, I, sorry, Bridget. No, I, I understand what you're saying, Rachel, and I understand, mm -hmm. you know, all of the sociological realities of that. But I think that if you take Malvolio in that direction, it's not comedy anymore. Um, I think the comedy comes from him having these outsized aspirations that are never going to be realized. And he is the only person that doesn't see that. Well, to me, the comedy is that he gets taken down. I mean, it's kind of a revenge play. And it's a lot of people are very uncomfortable with how Malvolio gets treated and they are willing to make Festi the evil one in this situation. And so there's a lot of people like say, oh, Festi's terrible. Festi is so mean. He does all this stuff. And Mariah is so mean and does all this stuff. They don't understand the stakes involved. And so I am not so worried about in this particular situation how funny that is as I am in the context and the play and it making sense at the end why Festy hates him so much. Well, it's not, and it's not really Festy. It's Toby. He says, let's all have him bound, right, and, and put in the cell. Meanwhile, Mariah, blah, 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 mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And we mm -hmm. have no reason to, to think that Toby would be uh, the idea of being complicit with some kind of. Here's the thing: is that first of all, I just want to say this is a really interesting and important conversation, and uh, um, and, and I'm honored to partake in it as as wrong as I may be on on some points. But I really appreciate that this conversation's happening. And I want to stress but, uh, that there isn't there there isn't a wrong or a right here. Yeah. What there is that, is that, like bigger different views of the I same. I just think that Shakespeare's <laughs> capable, you know, and, and you can argue about where he's at in his career or whatever, of dealing with with these kinds of I mean he, you know, he's he has men slitting other men's throats for rape and i mean rape is a, is a, it's a theme in some of these things in some of these plays you know i mean cuts tongues out and you know just uh, uh, all of this stuff you know i mean the guy's uh not afraid of dealing with it maybe in this instance at this point in his career and i'd have to investigate well and more. i but, but i think the 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 thing to understand is that our definition of rape was not the same necessarily as shakespeare's 
definition of rape. And so there are several times that I see, uh, okay, for instance, um, Titania is given a date rape drug. Yeah. Plain yeah. and simple by Oberon and yeah. Oberon wins. Yeah. Uh, there are multiple times. Um, Demetrius also given a date rape drug <laughs> yeah. and Helena wins. Um, you know, sure, Demetrius is an asshole, but that doesn't mean, that, you know, completely abrogate his free will and have him end up being with somebody that he thought he didn't, you know, with an ex. Like, imagine waking up one day and you're with your ex again going, well, I don't know how this happened, but I guess it's okay. I mean, that's, you know, no, no, it's not, it's not okay by our standards. And so our standards of what is okay, what is a violation of somebody's, you know, basic human rights are clearly different than what the Elizabethans thought of as a basic abrogation of somebody's human rights. And so... We just need to be mindful, really mindful, when we're producing these plays, that we are not accidentally feeding in to that huge subconscious blob of preconceived ideas about rape and what men are allowed to do when they want somebody, what kind of things women are allowed to do if they feel justified in, in their actions. And, I'm trying to make clear that this is not a men bad, woman good thing. Um, but I think also that the, there's a argument for the cancel culture, uh, um, you know, um, uh, me too. Um, here we go. I'm, I'm going straight into hell right now. Let's do this. Uh, but, um, but the, you know, there's been some pushback, you know, uh, popularly in, uh, you know, essays, reviews, um, and just the talk of, you know, Shakespeare's work on where is the value of bringing in the modern, you know, as we try to clear out the debris of the patriarchal horseshit that we find in front of us and getting equality for everyone in all aspects and this kind of thing, where does the value lie in representing Shakespeare? either sort of as written or when does it start to become muddled in this kind of like uh, soup of good intentions um, that loses the the overall original effect i mean again for me shakespeare's um you know not someone incapable of of uh writing about these issues when uh, it strikes him and when you have you know like a there's he's a subtle writer too there are there are discordant notes that echo, you know, and Malvolio, the gulling of Malvolio is one of them, you know, is that, you know, one of the delicious troubles of this show is, do they go too far with Malvolio? You know, it, it's one of those, you know, things that where you're like, and, you know, and someone really, you know, uh, feeling everything you're feeling about how he wants to get rid of them and put them in the pole. Although I would temper that with like, how many times have you said that about people that are dear to you or near you? You know, not that they're necessarily dear to you uh, or dear to Malvolio, but I mean, don't we all say like, I'm going to kick him out. I'm firing that guy tomorrow. That guy's going down, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't do that, John. <laughs> I don't. But I mean, if, if you get just particularly <laughs> upset about something. No, you know, I don't. I mean, I like, I, I'm just, and I recognize that other people do this, but I, I do not. Like if they, I, they if I say imprison that. The man. They physically imprison the man. And, and make this him is why. Okay. Man. But, but, but what I'm hearing from you, John, is that you, you 
value when people produce Shakespeare in the way that it was meant to be produced. Um, no, I'm saying I'm saying it's tricky. I'm saying that, you're that, saying it's tricky, and I and I agree. The, and so what I'm saying is that here is clear language, clear evidence in the text that Malvolio wants to take Olivia. I don't know about that. I just don't know about that. I mean, well, to take Olivia, like on the day, like to come from the daybed where they've been sleeping, he's obviously fantasized about them being together, possibly even to the point of, of you know, like, uh, yeah. He is convincing. He is convincing himself. And now let's be clear. Olivia has done no such thing. Olivia has right. not encouraged him one whit. And this is the important point here. He's willing to believe that we know it's not true. We know Olivia doesn't want but that. We also all know that you you are not guilty of rape because you fantasize about someone. There would never be a connection in the world and not to be a shitty male. But I mean, are, are you kidding me? Just because I, I see someone and in my head, I have a half of a second where I'm like, wow, that's a beautiful person. And I could imagine that. That doesn't mean I'm a rapist. Absolutely I mean, not. That, that, means that would like be silly. Being, you know? That would be silly. But- you know, Bridget, you, you, you had an eye thing there. Tell me, what did no, I just do? What did no, I say? No, 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 no. What circle of hell have I devolved into? None, none. <laughs> I, I completely understand the tightrope that you are walking. It, it's not, it has nothing to do with desire. What it has to do with is what do we do with that desire? Yeah. And I don't care what gender we are. We have very likely... And I, I understand not everybody does this, and it, it, it's fine. But many people, many of us have looked at somebody who did not necessarily have any interest in us whatsoever that we thought, oh, man, they are really attractive. I would really like to just start by kissing them and then just see where it goes. Um, and that's fine. That's totally healthy. What's not okay is to plot and to delude yourself into thinking that the other person wants you when they have given absolutely no clue. Well, except for a that letter that says it. But, but before you know he, I mean? That's like... he had this in his head, before he read the letter, that's why the letter works. If he did not already have in his mind that he wanted yeah. to marry Olivia and become a count then this letter would have been oh it's must be for somebody else it has nothing to do with me and so when we look at what happens to malvolio and why festi at the end reads his letter like a madman and does other things uh to make malvolio look as bad as possible People looking to understand why Shakespeare thought it was appropriate to put Malvolio into a dark cell, to call him an evil person, then it's reasonable to look at his rape fantasies as rape fantasies. And they are the fantasies of a person who wants somebody who has given no indication that they want him whatsoever. Yeah, but he's not, he's not imagining taking it from her. 
it, he's not, I mean, a rape fantasy is just, that's just such a strong thing to accuse him of. He's certainly got delusions of grandeur. And I mean, we don't know that they weren't cooing to each other in the bed and never touching each other, you know, as far as he was concerned, you know, I, I mean, although we can imagine that they're not fair enough. We're talking but, um, about a Lucrece knife here. There's nothing subtle. First about of all, it. he doesn't say that. Maria says that in Olivia's hand in a Lucrece knife, I think in that instance, I mean, the illusion is there with the rape, but the, the silence like a Lucrece knife right so the so, illusion is there the illusion is there to the rape <laughs> but the i mean he doesn't say that she says that they say that and, and, and they're not even uses that he uses that to understand that olivia like you know we've already talked about how he is looking at this letter and interpreting it the way that he wants to because that was the pastime of the time was to try to find a deeper meaning in this. And so what he is getting out of this letter that he found on the ground is that, oh, she wants me. Yeah. And he is willing to take steps to that. He doesn't say to himself, oh, you know, this, this is crazy. She's never actually indicated. Any no, he's made up all these fantasies. Yeah. And again, I want to point out that rape to the Elizabethans is not the way that we would necessarily define rape today. Because the point is that once they're married, it's not rape. And so we don't know, we can't assume that even if Olivia wanted to marry him for who knows why, that she was sexually interested in him, you know, certainly people married without any sexual interest in each other. So I think separating like out all those ideas of how do we define rape? How did they define rape? Were rapists always punished in Shakespeare? Sadly, no, oh, no, they weren't. But and, How does the dog feel about it? These kinds of questions. And then, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, the reason that Malvolio is punished for his kind of rapey thoughts here, his rape fantasies, is that because they're at a different social class. Because his social class is lower than her social class. And so that's why he gets in trouble for what he's thinking, as opposed to what Arsino is thinking, who also wants to have sex with Olivia, whether she wants it or not. You know, he's, he just can't stop like trying and trying to get her to marry him because he is so hot for her that he doesn't want to take no for an answer. So, um, in any event, um, I, you know, I, I want to encourage people again to produce this play the way that it, you know, that you want to produce it, to bring forth the messages that you want to bring forth. But, uh, you know, be aware, <laughs> be aware of what you're doing and make choices so that the people who aren't in a situation where they're being gaslit, whether they're being pressured into sex that they don't want, that they don't feel nullified by a production because you didn't necessarily realize all the subtext that was there. Go forth, 
understand that the subtext is there and not everyone is going to catch it, but it reinforces our idea that it's okay to pressure women into a relationship, into sex that they don't want, if we say that Malvolio is not a bad guy for, do for doing these things. And, you know, if you have never been in a situation where somebody, and I don't care what gender they were, pressured you in this way, and maybe you relied on them some way maybe you can't just like x them out of your life it's terrifying stressful know. situation to be your in. whole for me the premise here is is that olivia is somehow being pressured by malvolio in some unacceptable way and that's just not anything we have any evidence of really we have the understanding that he's full of self-love from olivia from the rest of the group we have the understanding that he's possibly capable of these delusions of grandeur de and definitely capable of pretending that he's in charge of them to the point of threatening them with being excised from the house. But we don't have any moment where in this play where Olivia says, I am nervous about Malvolia. I, and I could be wrong. I might not just. It comes later. She doesn't but know. How would she know? She doesn't know until later. No, so I'm just saying, yeah, now he's been given a letter explicitly <laughs> encouraging uh -huh. certain behavior. You know what I mean? That's kind of the entire point here, you know? And I understand it's an exploration of some of these forces, but I'm just saying that his intention unactualized, it's the classic conundrum, right? Uh, would he have done these things anyway? And all that kind of stuff. I don't know. We get into some really murky well, she, water. But she already, she does condemn him. She says, you are sick with self-love. Self-love is different I know, but rape. she doesn't, she, well, <laughs> she doesn't. Boom. There you she, go. She doesn't know. And people often and, don't know when yeah. they're the object of somebody else's obsession. But it's not, it's not wrong to be the object of, to, to have an object of your, uh, uh, affection or uh, uh, i mean obsession if it leads into some kind of it's an uh, obsession into yeah well i mean yeah. he's he's it's obsessed he's... with her and he works for her he's her steward mm. and he is trying to get rid of all her friends and family so that he can have her to himself this is he's already acted on these things that is that that right there is the the point that you've been making that is something that gives me pause and I would like to see uh, stirred into the mix in terms of like when I produce this play again, that's something that I will definitely. This is a real problem. He, he is in a position of power mm -hmm. in her household. And yes, I do think it's absolutely inappropriate for two, for a coworker or a boss or, you know, somebody that you're relying on to be obsessing about you sexually. I think it's hella creepy. I think it's gross and disgusting and mm. inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if you're, imagine if you were in a situation, you know, let's say, you know, you owned a little cafe and <laughs> your, your manager, mm -hmm. you know, maybe was having really, inappropriate fantasies about you to the point of wanting to alienate you from your spouse and your other employees and your friends and you know telling them that that you wanted to fire them wouldn't that be a problem <laughs> i mean 100 and that all zero, right. zero chance of that happening I, i'm just saying john i'm just saying john that this is the situation that olivia is in and that she is depending on this person and he is not 
he is not being forthright. He is yeah. sick so, with self-love. To, to continue the illusion, what if the other employees got together and told him this was a thing that he should do? Well, but I they're, heard, I they're heard not. Yeah, yeah. But what they're trying, if what the other employees did was set up the manager in a situation where that manager confessed to all the things that they were trying to do. I see that. All right, we'll take this out of my cafe because now I'm creeped out. But, <laughs> and I'm but sure hypothetically, imagine. hypothetically, but, if, no, 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 if but yeah, taking it out of there, just we'll, I, I we'll say it's a shoe store. It's a shoe fruit. store, yeah, and the right, the manager right. of the shoe store, <laughs> you know, somehow gets locked in the back room, and you know, gets videotaped back there saying all the all the creepy things that they're thinking and doing yeah. it, you know this is what we're talking about here like olivia needs her steward and you know to to understand why this might have been an important point in this particular play uh, shakespeare is often taking real political risks here and talking directly to elizabeth in many of his plays and in this case what he is saying here is that when you are committed in this case to ruling alone as a woman, as Olivia and Elizabeth both are, and then you're relying on other people, your stewards, your master of horse, whatever, you cannot assume that the things they're thinking towards you are necessarily honorable. And when you look at how somebody like that in a position like that can endanger an entire realm by giving the ruler bad advice, by steering them this way or that way for their own political gain. I mean, you know, we've seen that throughout history. And that is why the gulling of Malvolio is so important. That is why, to me, it's not, you know, it's not all funny. He's not all funny. He's a dangerous person. And people like him have caused a tremendous amount of pain and suffering when they were in positions of real authority over other people. So I, I think if you make Malvolio really harmless and kind of a clown, then you shift the access of blame directly onto Festi because of the way he responds to Malvolio during the gulling and how he represents Malvolio to the court afterwards. Then at that point, Festi becomes the villain and that being mean to poor Malvolio. And I just don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's how the play was meant to be seen. I don't think that's how it was written. Uh, I you think know. that it's 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 Mariah and Toby that uh, are are on the other end of the, and yet, the pendulum there. And the, yet. of the pendulum, mm -hmm. there's an echo though. There's not any kind of. I mean, that's sort of the 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 twelfth night has these kind of these as I say these subtle echoes, and that's one of the ones you know between the rage. That Toby and Mariah and the servants feel in dealing with Malvolio versus the the extremity of their you know solution uh, to to teaching him the the lesson and, and its horrible repercussions you know that 
that discord is it's part of it you know what i mean well, I, I, I agree and i agree that mariah and toby are more responsible for this than festy all that aside you know in reading tons of essays and you know people's theses and you know everything else about twelfth night and you know actors who have been in the play and everything else nobody ever thinks mariah is the villain nobody ever thinks toby is the villain the only one that i have heard consistently blamed for malvolio's discomfort at the end and i understand i really do why this is is festy because of how malvolio asks him for help and how festy lies to him tricks him and everything else uh, but and we'll get into this into that scene so i don't want to go too far ahead with that but <laughs> but festy is playing a a particular role where it's his job to uncover evil and that's a role that goes back to the middle ages and and the role of vice and everything else so um i think we've like discussed this really deeply um <laughs> it, bridget has been sitting there smiling like patience on a monument um <laughs> bridget would you do you have anything to say uh no <laughs> i think you've both said everything that needs to be said for both sides of that argument all right fabulous thank you bridget <laughs> okay um so let's see i would like to take a bio break and then be right back great John. Hey, hey. And John, I just want you to know, I, I am so thankful to you for being willing to get into the nitty gritty of that with yeah. me. Like, yeah, yeah, I you. feel like it's, it's super important. Like if we, if we can't talk about this stuff, then we're not serving anybody really. You know what I mean? Like, and, and if there isn't somebody to challenge my opinions and if there isn't someone to challenge your opinions then neither of us are are really able to express those viewpoints as we otherwise would be so i think that that discussion is incredibly valuable yeah. um, i just want you to know i'm really grateful and appreciative well i, I always like uh digging in you know yeah 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 that's <laughs> awesome that's awesome. Okay. All right. Okay. So, uh, now that we've had a, a deep and intense discussion about <laughs> really one of the defining cruxes of this play and lots of Shakespeare's work, um, we can move forward and let's see 
where we were at the end of uh, the FU, right? The fortunate unhappy. <laughs> Daylight in Champagne, blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right. And so then um, we have an understandable shift in emotional beat here where he says very simply, I will be proud and dick um, joke. Um, I will read politic authors. I will baffle Sir Toby. And uh, a baffle is not just confusing somebody, but it's also an obstacle. I will wash off gross acquaintance, uh, meaning that he's not going to hang out with, you know, the little people, as if he ever did. I will be point devise the very man. Do either of you know what that phrase means? Because I'm realizing that I don't. Point device, it means every, imperfectly. Ah, in every thank point. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The very man. I do not now fool myself to let imagination jade me for every reason excites to this. Again, more erotic imagery that my lady loves me. She did commend my yellow stockings of late. Did she now? Uh, she did praise my leg being cross-guarded. Was she making fun of him? Was she just saying something nice? And in this, she manifests herself to my love and with a kind of injunction drives me to these habits. She made him do it of her liking. I thank my stars. I am happy. Oh, <laughs> enjoy it while you can, Malvolio. I will be strange stout in yellow stockings and cross-gartered, even with the swiftness of putting on. Jove and my stars be praised. Oh, here's yet a postscript. Thou canst not choose but know who I am if thou entertainest my love. Let it appear in thy smiling. Well, we know he didn't smile much. And this is always, a, I think, a fun moment for the actor to kind of force a smile thy smiles become thee well therefore in my presence still smile dear my sweet I prithee and then he's reading he's not reading anymore he gets to the end and now he's thanking Jove thanking God I thank thee I will smile I will do everything that thou wilt have me he has been good and fooled and then we come into Fabian, um, a pension of thousands to be paid from the Sophie. So that would have been uh, a lifetime income. He's saying he would turn that down just to watch this. Toby expresses uh, some love here for Mariah. Um, I could marry this wench for this device. And then Sir Andrew Aguecheek says, so could I too. Hmm. Now, um, something that I really missed the first few times I read this play is how Aguecheek starts expressing his own feelings for Mariah 
do you think that Toby at this point starts to feel a little threatened? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. Even though, even though Aguchik has all the money, no, no. <laughs> Toby is in no way threatened by Andrew Aguchik. I wonder. I wonder if that's why he gets mean to him later, just out of sheer, you know, jealousy or something. What do you think, John? Well, I, I mean, I. You can also some of that's the mimicry and the mm-hmm. and the puppetry that Aguchik, you know, just you know, me, me too, me too, you know that. Yes. You know, Yes, I, and I agree. I think that's how Aguchik means it. I don't think he has any intention of marrying Mariah, but I I kind of wonder if that sets up a little bit of of friction between them, and maybe uh, makes hurries Toby along in terms of uh, coming to some sort of commitment with Mariah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, he's talking about being her bond slave and sir andrew says oh me too me too (laughs) i'm thinking three definitely makes a crowd there i don't think she's interested in him and uh jumping forward a little bit uh maria says nay but say true does it work upon him and sir toby belch says like aqua vitae with a midwife and that was a particular kind of alcohol that midwives would use to speed along a labor but it was also said that the reason that they asked for it all the time was so that they could drink it so there's a little little bit of a a dig at midwives there and uh then let's see bridget would you read mariah for me there if you will if you will then see the fruits of the sport mark has first approach before my lady he will come to her in yellow stockings, and tis a color she abhors, and cross-guarded, a fashion she detests, and he will smile upon her, which will now be so unsuitable to her disposition, being addicted to a melancholy as she is, that it cannot but turn him into a notable contempt. If you will see it, follow me. Go ahead, John. With the gates of Tartar, thou most excellent devil of wit. And I'll, I'll make, make one, one too. <laughs> Thank Poor you. Poor Andrew. Yeah. Poor Andrew. So, um, I mean, what a scene. Yeah. What an incredible scene. And what, uh, like, a definite end to the scene. Like, you know, sometimes in in Shakespeare's scenes, you know, you want to see with a scene, you want there to be some sort of change, something that has happened, something that has moved the plot forward. And um, this has definitely done it. By the end of it, Malvolio uh, has convinced himself, thanks to Mariah's trickery, that Olivia wants him. And he is ready to go put on those yellow stockings and cross garter and smile. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. Uh, anything else that either of you might want to add to this discussion for this scene? Um, no, there's that nice little button that Toby has there at the end. Why thou hast put him in such a dream that when the image of it leaves him, he must run mad. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. A little precursor. A little foreshadowing. A little foreshadow. There. Hmm. And a little bit of an explanation of 
of what they are going for. And, you know, to, to be clear, madness was uh, considered a sign of demonic possession. That was their explanation of madness then. And so um, if he's being tormented by devils, then, you know, who, who are the devils here, really? Certainly, certainly nobody in this play comes across as a paragon of virtue except the pirate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, in this next scene, uh, which starts Act Three, uh, we get to see Viola and Festi, and uh, uh, we get some more fun interaction between Viola and Olivia. Hmm. 